Thanks for joining us for another intriguing edition of the Stack Pack. Perhaps you can help solve a mystery. Um, <laughs> what's up, guys? Why, why do we Why do we sell ourselves so short? A mystery. Why not? Maybe you could help solve some mystery. Because that's what Robert Sack says. He, he doesn't expect you to solve more than one mystery in an episode. That is preposterous. That's like asking too much. Perhaps, maybe, possibly, you could help solve one of these mysteries. Like, if you, I mean, two, that's unheard of. Um, anyways, we're a podcast and we talk about Unsolved Mysteries. What's up? Today we're covering season three, episode 13. And um, I'm David Howell and I'm joined by my homies, Rodan, San and Dan. We're all in Texas. San and Dan, uh, San, in San Antonio. What's up, dude? San and Dan. Not much. You know, joining the river walk, trying not to get arrested. Oh, yeah. Huge. Um, <laughs> what's up, Eli? Wait, wait, hey, hey, what do you mean we're both in Texas? You mean all three of us are in Texas? That's what I said. We're all, liver? didn't I say we're all in Texas? Yeah, I you said heard, we're all in t- Oh, I thought I heard you say we're both in Texas. I was like, I yeah. thought that. Well, Dave and Dan are in Texas. Eli is in the netherworld. Yeah. Dan. I'm, in, I'm in the the DFW North Texas where it's you're very, in the uh, sunken place, the upside down Earth two, Earth two limbo, witch limbo. Yeah, we're all in Texas. We're chilling. <laughs> um, what's up, Stack Pack? We're gonna mystery solve. Um, we're gonna talk about some mysteries. We're gonna and some cra- Sabrina. We're gonna get cracking on these cases. That is, ooh yeah, six cases, six beers, right? Ooh, I, I like the way you think. There's only three cases, so so two beers a case. Two beers a case? I think I can do that. I'm up to that challenge. Oh, he's fucked. <laughs> God, he, all he had was a six-pack of Lone Stars, too. It's not even strong beer. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Let's jump in. Um, this is a pretty good episode. We're going to be... I loved in. this episode. I just got to say. I love uh, it. Yeah, it's full of mystery and intrigue. Thoroughly entertained. I feel like there was something for everyone. Fun <laughs> for the whole family. I give it uh, 10 out of 10. Yeah, yeah. It's great. 10, ten, ten out of 10. out of 10 stacks? Yeah, a 10 out of 10 stacks. <laughs> 10 stitches or, per inch for me. Or, or a 10 out of 10 trench coach. Trench, it needs to be 12 coach. stitches trench per coach. inch. Do it again. Um, Do yes. It again. So, um, this first case is a spooky missing persons. Ah, uh, this one, I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I got to watch. I watched it and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. And then I searched Google after. <laughs> it was very disappointed. Oh, no, this story is actually, it, it's a lot more interesting than what meets the eye once you actually start researching. Yeah, so this is a this is a missing persons case. The story starts off in my in Miamisburg, Ohio, when um, you know we're in the midst of Vietnam, and Mark Dennis signs up and joins up with uh, the Navy as a medic, and he leaves. He actually joined in 1964 when he was 17 years old only. He was a baby. Um, his sole reasoning for joining was the fact that, a, as him as being a 17 year old single person. He joined in hopes that maybe someone with a family wouldn't get enlisted to go to the war. Well, they they, li- they literally said that he volunteered to take the place of a father with children. 
I, I volunteer as tribute. But yeah, but, well, but, uh, but that's and they they also they also say that they like emphasize that that's what the family said. So so that so basically, this is the real life version of Hunger Games. Yeah, he's like, no, I sacrifice myself. I will fall on that grenade. <laughs> July 15th, 1966, he and 15 other crewmen jumped on a helicopter to go save a battalion. And on their way there, they were shot down and the um, helicopter exploded. And they were shot down during a firefight of some sort. Yeah, and it was in North Vietnam Territory. Three out of 16 of the people on the helicopter survived. Side note. Jocelyn just brought me like a pitcher of margarita. <laughs> oh, you guys have such good drinks. I am like I have like a tiny bit of rum and like no coke. <laughs> I'm like that looks oh amazing. <laughs> Bottoms up. This helicopter explodes and um this brother kind of tells the story of you know driving home one day and seeing the navy car outside and his sister ran out crying and saying that uh that he had died that um Mark had been shot down. Did we mention the the three who survived? So yeah, the three um, uh, sole survivors were the pilot, the co-pilot, and the gunner of the aircraft. But that's all they really say. That they, they don't go much into it. Other than those were the three that survived. I just wanted to. I just wanted to point <laughs> that out. On August eighth of nineteen sixty six, he was buried. Um, apparently, it, it was like really shitty for the family because they had to wait for this for the casket to get there. And they were advised not to view the remains. And um, it was just kind of left at that for about four years until 1970 when there was an uh, article in Newsweek magazine that showed a, that, that published a picture of a prisoner of war that was apparently unknown. And the family got really excited because it looked enough like Dennis that, um, you know, they really thought that he wasn't dead. And I have to, I have to say it does resemble him a lot minus a few it, things that i noticed yeah but i mean let's be honest it's it's a it's a oh, it's, it's a, a girl picture it's a girl from the new kids on the block situation uh, girl yeah, from the new sh- kids yeah. on the block concert situation it's a shitty picture and he looks like, kind of like an everyman so that makes it hard um the one thing that i the, the noticeable difference that i noticed in the picture of that they posted on newsweek was the guy seemed to have a little bit more of like a widow's peak Whereas they show the picture of uh, Mark Dennis, and he doesn't really have that. He has a kind of a straight hairline. Yeah, the Navy even did an official investigation. They asked for more pictures of Mark Dennis, and the the family waited like six weeks, I think, when they finally mm-hmm. decided that um, that it was it was a POW that they already knew about, and then they, well, yeah, they said that, it wasn't the- him. That's the one thing um, Unsolved Mysteries uh, kind of misleads in this in this little segment. Well, yeah. the thing is, is like they they make it seem like they present this info as like this unidentified um, prisoner in 1970, but in reality, that photo was in a Time magazine in 1967 with him identified. Oh, oh so they don't say kind- that. So yeah, they it, knew, like, like it, bait, it's, it's a fact that Unsolved Mysteries just kind of. That's a bait. You know. They baited their audience. They wanted people to watch and tune in on prime time. Like, we're going to get them. Watch this. We're going to show them a little clip of a guy who's, we already know who he is, but we're not going to tell the audience that. 
We're gonna make it believe that it's someone other, some other dude. But it could it could be somebody missing. just used the same picture in a Newsweek and didn't say who it was. So well, they got it. They got it through the wire. So even though they were like, "That's definitely not uh, your brother," you know, that's that's not uh, Mark. Um, they were convinced that he didn't actually die, and then they actually requested they get the death certificate. And the def- right. death certificate said that he was completely burned, and they couldn't actually. He was the only one that they couldn't fully identify, like. For right. sure. They identified him by process of elimination, basically. Like the rest of the crew was identified uh, by their, you know, they could tell who they were by the dog tags also. And based on the three survivors and the people who did survive or who, who did pass away, the guy that they couldn't said, well, they'd had to be the other crew member. Logically, that would make sense, right? Yeah, it just made sense. But Jerry won't, you know, he's still thinks that something's weird about this, something happening. So he keeps pushing it, and he even gets an article released in some other magazine in, like, 1971. And um, then he gets a call. He's contacted by a guy named Steve Wilcox, who's a Navy dental tech. And apparently he was best friends with uh, Mark Dennis in boot camp. And he said that um, at one of his other jobs, he had met a guy from Nam because he was the dental guy. He had everybody's records, and he knew the guy was from Nam. And he got to talking to him, and he realized that he was in the same uh, uh, platoon or whatever you want to call it. He was in the same unit as Mark Dennis. So he kind of told him that he didn't think, and neither did anybody else in the unit, they didn't think that uh, Mark Dennis died in that plane because there was no evidence. So, I mean... This getting back to Jerry's fueling the fire where, you know, they're like kind of... I told you. I told you he wasn't dead. That yeah, wasn't him. Yeah, it's further convincing him that his brother's still out there. Or at the very least that his brother didn't die in that helicopter crash. Right. So he gets them to exhume the remains. You know, that Unsolved Mysteries classic. <laughs> uh, classic Dig Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> Get your shovel. I also want to mention first, uh, he... See, Wilcox could not remember the guy who said that he was in uh, Mark's unit. He could not remember his name for the life of him. Yeah. Hey, what are you going to do today? Oh, we're just going to have ourselves an old-fashioned exhumation. Oh, Unsolved Mysteries case? Yep. Oh, yeah, cool. (laughs) So, I got to say, when they do the big reveal, right? Like, the reenactment, they, they show... They were about to identify the body, and they open it up. And uh, and when they, as soon as they did, before they even said anything, I just saw the the navy uniform. I was all, "Holy shit, it's empty!" He's not like, there. It's just a uniform. What? It's just a uniform. What the hell's going on? The government's involved. Yeah. And as soon as then, and then, and then Robert Sack comes in, and he says that they placed the empty uniform over the body, which was then over like a blanket. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, um, the remains were in a plastic bag. With a navy blanket on top of it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Robert Stack, way to pull my dick. (laughs) Yeah, Robert Stack was pulling everybody's dicks. And then, um, yeah, so there was dog tags on top of the remains. and Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. um, Apparently the edges were really sharp and they seemed brand new. And they didn't seem like they were blown up and in some sort of heavy heat, intense heat uh, helicopter crash. Um, they even even said Jerry said that when he picked it up, it like Jerry's the brother. He said he, when he picked it up, it like cut his finger. It was so sharp. Oh, there was still a burr from the pressing, from when they stamped out the uh, the information on the dog tag, and a metal bird dug into his thumb, and it actually drew blood. But what's really interesting is his brother actually studied arsons, 
So oh, like, yeah. he looked at the dog tag and was me like, the the scorch marks on this are not the type of scorch marks you would see from. And the guy like flat out, he's like, oh well, you know the uh, the helicopter, the Chinooks either use JP five or JP four non leaded kerosene fuel, and this type of fire is you know with a low grade temperature. Yeah, all of that and just then, went. Then, all that just went over my head. I was like, and then so he confronts the Navy, and they do their own investigation, and it comes back with that uh, the dog tag uh, was in a low level fire, and chances are, it in the in the explosion, the dog tags flew off a mark and landed where there wasn't a fire, thus not severely severely damaging the uh, dog tags, was what the Navy said. And they found them? Like, yeah, that's weird. And they, they still found them, even though they'd blown off. Um, and, but then they immediately said, no, never mind. You know, if it, it, you know the autopsy said that, that he wasn't identified by his dog tag, so they were probably pressed at um, their mortuary in Saigon, and that that was pretty much normal practice. So that same year, in 1971, Jerry requests the Navy change um, his status. They, they, they change Mark... Dennis's status from killed in action to missing in action. And of course they refused because they were convinced that they had the right body. So they were going to rebury him at Arlington National uh, Cemetery and Jerry was like pissed about this. He's like, no, like that's not him. And there's a ribbon, like a red ribbon over the grave that he put that all it says is in memory of one only known to God. It's just like... Basically, like, if this is him, it, it could God be him knows. or it could be somebody else, but God knows the truth. Honestly, I don't think I don't think Jerry for one minute wrote that with any intent of it, it could be him. He's fucking convinced that it's not. Yeah, he totally is. And yeah, and it's so tacky, too. It's like this army grave. And then there's like literally a red ribbon in grave that says like that over over all the other words. I know. It's really weird. Rude. Vietnam eventually ends, shitty, terrible war ends in 1973, and all the POWs are slowly coming home, and of course, Dennis is not one of them, Um, and Jerry keeps fighting all these years, and he actually petitioned his Congress enough to where the Congress, like, you know, because of all the pressure that Jerry, uh, Dennis was giving him, they actually like did a little investigation into what happened and they interviewed the gunner who was one of the three who survived and they couldn't, I mean, the most interesting thing he said is that he, he thought a couple of men jumped out into enemy enemy territory before the helicopter went down. But he said it was so smoky in there and that it was impossible to see for sure. And then, you know, one of the skeptics gets on and he's like, well, yeah, but they could have just ran to the other, to the bottom of the helicopter to like prepare for like impact or something. And he could have just seemed like they jumped out. Yeah. That Lieutenant Colonel James Cole is his name. Oh man. I want his sunglasses. Oh, you'd like those? Dude, those are like so like 1980s. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He had that look. He looks like a, a third world country dictator in him. He look, yeah, he looks like a, like, a, like, a, like a weasel, like a total weasel. Yeah, he, he looks like everything he's ever bought, clothes-wise, <laughs> has always been too big for him. Slow, sleazy weasel, we'll call him. Yeah, Lieutenant Sleazy Weasel. Um, but that, he, that's the last part he's in. He's gone after this. <laughs> he's, he's probably a really nice guy, too. 
yeah, he seems like it. So Jerry started, you know, he gives this whole spiel about how it started off personal, but now it's not. And he, he became an advocate for people that were MIA and POW, like, organizations. And this is kind of one of the last funny, weird straw of this is, like... He's in he's in a bar in 1986 and he's talking about his brother and some guy overhears him approaches him and he tells him that his name is John King and that he was a POW from 1966 to 1969 and that he knew a gentleman by the name of Dennis went by preacher in one of the last camps he was at and he said that uh, they didn't know the first names but they all they all had nicknames and his nickname was preacher and we mentioned earlier that he was very religious and, you know, Jerry breaks down telling this part because he's like, he's like, we got a letter, you know, before the helicopter went down where he said that um, his platoon or his unit, whatever you want to call it, his unit split up and that he was the acting, uh, what do they call Oof. it? Chapelman or uh, chaplain? Chaplain. <laughs> chaplain. <laughs> that he was the acting chaplain for his unit. He was the, 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 the priest guy, the preaching guy. So his nickname was Preacher and that really got Jerry. Let me tell you what. If my unit, if my unit split up, I'd be praying to God too. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. It's, that's a dick joke. That's a dick joke. Uh, you got me. You got it. <laughs> Why did um, you split so, my unit? So, uh, so because his, his unit split up. Yeah. I yeah. now have two units. So then, so what happens after that? He pulls out Mark's picture. <laughs> he pulled out. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately after his unit split, he pulled out. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was a good one. So Jerry pulled Jerry pulls out Mark's picture, and this is when this PO, former supposed POW says, "Oh yeah, that's him. Sure is, sure is." And this further convinces Jerry that the government's lying to him, and um, that he at least didn't die. Like I said, he at least didn't die in the crash in 1966. <sighs> So random dude at the bar just comes and discredits the entire U.S. government. Yeah. Let's talk about he, fucking coincidence over here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, Homeboy's wife's hair. What is going on up there? Did oh, you see her hair? Oh, uh, the, 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 Jerry, the honey Barbara? honeycomb up there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even really notice. Bouvier. She had quite the quaff. Quite the quaff. <laughs> So, yeah, the Navy was still convinced, of course, that they have the remains of Mark Dennis and um, and that he, you know, and of course, Jerry thinks that he either survived or he became a prisoner of the North Vietnamese. Um, and that's kind of where the story ends, because nobody really knows, except for the next week when I guess the fucking army or the Navy makes Robert Stack make all these like I, I feel like Unsolved Mysteries got in a little bit of trouble. Doesn't it seem yeah. at the end of the segment? Yeah. yeah, a little bit. They're like, hey, 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 you can't just be rolling over the U.S. government like that. There was some uh, discrepancies in our shit. last episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he comes back and says, oh, after we aired that, we were contacted by the Department of the Army. Yeah, basically we pissed off a lot of people and they wanted me to get back on and eat crow. And uh, here we go, guys. Um, so that Newsweek POW, his name was Paul Galanti. He was a POW from 1966 to 1973. So his name was known, and that wasn't mentioned. As well as the thing that they don't even mention here is what Dan was saying, is that that picture was already previously published. Um, also, John King, former POW, 
No records of anybody by that name ever being a, a POW in any branch of the army. So basically this guy overheard, he pulled a better call Saul on this guy. He, he, he overheard this guy talking about his brother in the army. He was a POW and he's like, I'm going to fuck with this guy. I've had a couple. Yeah. But like, he good. didn't even get like money from him or nah, anything he good. Just he just drinks. like got his hopes up and just like, that was enough. What a dick. I think, yeah. Yeah. He decided to mess <laughs> with him. I think. Yep. That's the guy. That's definitely him. <laughs> so that guy probably doesn't exist. Um, also the these exhumed dog tags there was x-rays done of these bones after and there was also x-rays done of mark dennis's bones i guess like you know when you uh join the army you get x-rays so with the help of the army they hired a independent uh research guy um and he does a re- he does a comparison on the vertebrae in the back the his yeah. spinal column right uh, of of the body and of mark dennis yeah, John Fitzpatrick is his name. Yeah, Doctor John Independent Fitzpatrick. from yeah, he's not he's not worked for the Army or Unsolved Mysteries, and he straight up says that the vertebrae and um, the the vertebrae is identical, identical, identical. Yeah, and then uh, Robert Stagg is like, we contacted Jerry Dennis, and he's like, nope, 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 and uh, moving on. Let's not bring this one up again. Okay, sorry, Navy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, did you do any other research? It seems like you read more about I it. I did. Too. I was convinced I with did. unsolved mysteries. I was like, yeah, I just I read some research because I was like convinced. I said, well, yeah. I mean, now they could definitely test DNA on the bones, right? Yeah. So there's an update. Yeah, yeah, there is. You want to go ahead and tell it? So in 2016, after 50 years of the family trying to. To find out what really happened, they made a final request, uh, but this time they decided to use advanced DNA extraction technology to test uh, the bone marrow in his bones against his known relatives. And it came back as a match that the remains are of uh, Mark Dennis. Mm Mm-hmm. So as of uh, 2016, it is officially confirmed that the remains are his, and he was laid to rest in his final resting spot on April 2017 in Florida with full military honors with his mom and dad. Whoa, so his brother wasn't even alive? No, his brother no, passed his away. his brother passed away in 2002 without ever knowing. So he's now buried. And and the interesting thing is the family has now accepted the fact that the information that they got in 2016 is the final definite answer to the point where after they got the DNA results, his remains were cremated. Yep. They were like, we don't want any more tests. We're done with this. So finally it's over. That's it. It's, it's done sealed final nail in the cot in the casket, if you will. (laughs) So yeah, it was him. Duh. Duh. <laughs> what a waste. What a waste of a whole lifetime. What a waste of 20 minutes of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's 20 minutes I'll never get back. Just kidding. No, yeah, it just makes me sad that Jerry was like... Adamant. This, here lies one only known to God. You fucking liars. There was a picture in Newsweek, and I'm not going to be convinced otherwise. It's like, yeah, isn't that crazy? That whole thing just yeah. set off. It's hard. I I gotta say, it's hard losing somebody. You don't want to believe that they're gone. Yeah, but it's not like he died. It's not like dying in a in a plane. I mean, in a helicopter crash is like. It's not like 
he was like wrongfully convicted of something of doing something bad. It's it's not like it's a dishonorable way to go. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I agree. We don't need to talk about this next guy. He's uh, talked about him before. The creep. What's his name? Creepy. The the creepy. The I don't I don't know his name. His creepy, creepy. Uh, the child I'm a molester. The fucker who couldn't fucking stop. Like, he got caught. The reason he got caught was because he just, like, couldn't, like, help himself from, like, trying to, like, molest children. Oh, he was a piece a gross of shit. Dude. Yeah, this guy sucks. We talked about him not that long ago. Yeah, in a previous episode. Go check it out. Um, yeah. Piece of shit. <laughs> um, this next one is a wanted case, and it's a fucking dirty one, dude. Man, this guy came, like, ah, this. This case took a. Really dark turn. They made they when we when they talked about it in the next week's episode. They softened this a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. I was editing. I was, like, I was editing this episode. Uh, the I was editing the episode from last week, like a couple hours ago, and we're just like talking about like, oh yeah, another sweetheart swindler. That'll be fun. And then <laughs> and then I and then you hear me say, oh, it's just it's hard not to make fun of all these dumb middle aged women. And this one is just like, oh no, no this is like murder no. guy. <laughs> this is this, this, is, not, guy this is not a sweetheart swindler. This guy is just a fucking. Well, he this does swindle. He's sweet. He doesn't swindle. He sweets their hearts and then he and murders, then he murders them. them. Sweetheart murderer. Yeah, this guy's the f- it, fucking Joker. Um, we said that at the same time over here. Sorry, Mister J. Yeah. Well, th- this is this is a crazy one, motherfucker. <laughs> so this story starts off in Nassau County, New York. Um, we're talking uh, early 70s, July 31st of 1971. 20-year-old Ricardo Caputo calls, more like just regular puto. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, more like just puto. More like just fucking puto. So, Ricardo the puto. Um, what, what does that translate to exactly? Like fucker, pussy? Yeah, it's just like fucker. Yeah. Um... So Ricardo the Puto um, calls police on himself. On himself, and he, he comes back to this. I don't want to give anything away, but um, he he calls Ooh. the cops and he tells them to go to Natalie Brown's. He tells them to go to the home of his girlfriend's parents, and his girlfriend was Natalie Brown. And um, he tells authorities that he wants to marry her and he loved her and just to go there, I guess. And so the detective says he walks into the residence, um, stuff looks disheveled, he goes into the kitchen, and her body is laying in the kitchen, brutally stabbed, like, over and over and over. Yeah, they say it was a pretty gruesome scene. Um, We have one detective say it was the worst he's ever seen um, in his career. And he had a very Joe Stahula vibe about him. He kind of seemed like a grizzled detective. Yeah, he did have a Joe Stahula vibe. And then we also uh, hear from uh, Natalie Brown's brother, aka poor man's Edward James Olmos. Really, I thought um, I thought he looked like uh, he looked like uh, what's his name, John Landis, the director, or or Joe or Pedro King, or Joe Hill, Tom King's son. He kind of looked like Joe Hill. Yeah, Jonah a Hill. Bit. <laughs> but Jonah he Hill? says that he never saw any signs of volatile behavior between their relationship. Uh, he, he even said thought, his parents you know, liked her, liked the kid yeah, a lot. Yeah. Thought they were good. He thought he was good peeps. So, and uh, his mugshot 
looks like straight up the son of Sam. So we're covering all bases here, ladies and gents. Really, dude, to me, his mugshot, like, he did look yeah. like a very attractive young man. Like, nice. he looked like a... Chiseled like, jaw. Like, um, I'd, I'd let him murder me. <laughs> let him murder me. He looked like if Richard Ramirez was a, was a heartthrob. Chiseled jaw. You know. Nice eyebrows. Yeah. I mean, he, he looked a little fucking crazy in the picture, but he, he yeah. was... Yeah, I could totally see it. Who doesn't like crazy? <laughs> I'd let him murder he me. He could slay me. I was listening to this podcast. I was listening to this podcast about Hollywood true crime. And uh, these guys, they were talking about how Steve McQueen haunts this place. And they were like, oh, <laughs> Steve, Steve McQueen, McQueen haunt he haunts some place? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's about like haunted places in Hollywood. The first episode they talked about a. The Manson murders, but like the guy who lives it, mm-hmm. like pretty much on that property now. Um, he, there's a sh- like it's haunted mm. as fuck. Apparently, that's what they say. It's it's a cool story, so you know who knows. Um, but anyways, yeah. So going back to Puto. back to this murder, back to this vicious stabbing. Yeah, going back to Ricardo Puto. Natalie Brown was a sweet girl. Everybody liked her. She was a sweet girl. Uh, everybody liked her. She's she had a winning personality. That's something you don't hear anymore. Very winning personality that one. She's got a lot She's of, got a lot of moxie. <laughs> so after they arrest him for Natalie's murder, they kind of look into his background a little bit, and they kind of discover that he may be responsible for a, a, a bunch of other murders, as the way Robert Stack explains it since 1971. This being his first murder, Robert Sack says since 1971, he's used his charms to kill women, to kill again and again and again, right? Viciously kill, might I might add. Um, after he's taken into custody for murdering his girlfriend, they realize that he'd been treated for mental illness in Argentina, which is where he lived uh, before he only came to the U.S. in 1970. Shortly thereafter, he's deemed incompetent to stand trial. And um, he goes off to a, a mental hospital. Yeah, much, he, right? well, they deem him not fit for trial, so they enter him into a maximum security mental facility. And that's where he meets... And that's where the Joker meets Harley Quinn. That's where he meets Harley his real-life Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah, he meets... He meets Judith Becker, who is 26 years old. Um, she was a psychologist, and she was just smitten. She, um, they, they talk to her sister, and her sister tells us that she was very, very into her job. She felt like the patients were her friends; that she had to get them to, tr- she had to get them to trust her in order to make that connection. Because she was a psychologist to these uh, patients, but she really, she really. Gained a liking. She really gained a liking to Ricardo the Puto. <laughs> At this time, he was also bragging to other inmates or other patients that he was going to use her somehow to get yeah. out of that hospital, get out of that mental hospital. And sure enough, he gets transferred to well, a Manhattan psychiatric hospital. Before, that's for like well before he gets transferred. How he gets transferred is um, she offers him an opportunity to join up this new program where select inmates would be allowed out during the day to start a community garden. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I will grow you the biggest tomatoes. 
<laughs> yeah. this max mental facility and he's like oh fuck yeah you mean you're gonna move me out of here into somewhere i can escape i will grow you the biggest tomatoes you've ever seen this side of the mason dixon this side of the hudson river this side of the hudson river <laughs> this dude brutally murdered a woman and they're letting this guy grow tomatoes two years later two years after he murders his girlfriend he's spending the nights with just, the crazies and yeah. just walking around <laughs> free to kill the day Provided he comes home with the largest tomatoes they've ever seen. Yeah. This side of the Hudson. He just he just goes he down just to the fucking pants. any bodega. <laughs> Boom, I got you. You like these tomatoes? tomatoes? Right <laughs> and during these day trips off, of course he's going to Judith, aka Harleen Quinn Doctor Harleen Quinzel's apartment. And it's in Yonkers. It's in Yonkers. I was about to write that down. The stack pack returns to Yonkers. <laughs> You know, you're gonna see some satanic people Excuse having a little me. prayers or something over there in the uh, near the aqueduct. The aqueduct, near the aqueduct over there. It's great. Why would you ever want to leave Yonkers? It's it's got everything, man. It is. Yonkers it's a great. Is a it's great a great part of New York. It's got tomatoes. It's got zucchini. <laughs> it's got the best mental hospitals. It's got the sexy psychologists that want to do sex to you. Yonkers. It's got satanic rituals by the aqueduct. <laughs> <laughs> what else could you want? <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, <laughs> sexy satanic. So by the <laughs> go down to Yankees. Grab yourself a grab yourself a gyro. Grab yourself a fucking uh. grab yourself a bacon, egg, and cheese on a bun. Don't you fuck with that bagel. Too much bread in there. <laughs> and then you fucking walk down to Yankees. You get yourself. You eat your fucking bagel. Sorry, you eat your fucking bacon, egg, and cheese on your bun while watching the satanic rituals. And then you go over to the King's Tavern in Williamsburg. You hang out with Patty. It's a great night. <laughs> Shout out to yeah. Patty, our friend who doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> so he's hanging out during the day with this psychologist and their friendship blossoms. And um, there's you know the investigators like obviously they were like it was romantic they were screwing and the sister is like oh no their relationship was not romantic at all and but then right after she says that she says she says how she introduced him to the family as a co-worker and not one of her yeah, patients were, but she's my still colleague. fucking convinced like 10 years after that that like there was nothing romantic it was all platonic which i think is Hundred percent. No, he was he was giving her the tomatoes and the zucchini. <laughs> you know those tomatoes <laughs> at the Yonkers roof garden. The uh, the romance comes to an end when uh, she ends up missing. Uh, she doesn't show up to a family's boating trip, and her parents become concerned, so they go to her apartment. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but uh, like the reenactment the, when they're like ringing the doorbell, so her mom and dad. I don't know if. That's actually her parents or actors, but they legitimately have like an old couple. Like, I don't think so. I mean, like, did you push number two? Like, yes, I pushed number two. Well, then why isn't she answering? I don't fucking know. Did you push number two? I said I pushed number two. I just <laughs> noticed that. I, I totally missed that. <laughs> I pushed it, Marge. I, I pushed literally, it. Literally, they're they're arguing like on like old like. Did you couple. ring two? Did you ring two B? Yes, I rang two. No, no, you probably you, you didn't have your reading glasses. You probably hit two A. What are you yelling about, Marge? What are you yelling about? I pushed the button. Did you bring the rye bread? 
God damn it, you forgot Oh, you left the, the casserole at home. Stop yelling. <laughs> the marble rye and the black and white cookie and other Seinfeld things. Did you bring the pole for Festivus? Well, are we still in New York? We're, okay, we're still in New York. All right, yeah, so she's dead. Um. So anyway, they, they get into her apartment, and they go looking for her, and that's where they discover her strength laying on her stomach in her room, apparently dead from strangulation. Yeah, beaten and yeah. strangled with her own stocking, and they said she was only yeah. wearing a half slip, which is what? Like a really sexy, tiny, uh, <laughs> like, like a little like, sexy um, kinda. nightgown, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, like, like one that just covers the bubbies and just the vagina. But just like, the important, just, just the important parts. Ends a little bit, like full, yeah. full legs exposed, right? Like a tiny little sexy. That, that's what that is, that's a, is that a half slip? I don't know. I'm googling. Okay. Just for everybody who didn't know, I was explaining it for myself because I wasn't sure. <laughs> A half slip is also, um, it's like a casual Cosby. It's like when you only put half the roofie in there. So they're still, you know, they're suggestible, but it's oh not like a full date rape. So, so a half slip is just the bottom half of a slip. So it's just like the dress. Oh, okay. A half slip. Oh, mm. oh, wow. So that's an awful way to find your daughter. Ah. So it's just the dress part of yeah, like, like a, a of a like a frilly. Well, it's nightgown. generally an undergarment, like you know, like so some men wear undershirts. You wear a slip underneath a dress. Damn. So she—that's an awful way to find your daughter. Presumably, uh, mm. breasts exposed, just wearing a half slip, like laying on her back, beaten and strangled. Just awful. So he he disappears after car checkbook right? clothing, and he took off. Uh, um, also. Important to note that there was like dinner for two right. on the living room table, um, but only one dead body. So yeah, he he fled he fled the scene. So six months later, um, he's changed coasts. He's now in San Francisco, um, where he befriends a a book. Uh, he's editor? hanging out with Bob Saget and uh, he, Jesse Costopoulos and uh, <laughs> Joey. What's what's his name? I don't know his name. The cast of the cast of Full House, and he fucks Kimmy Gibbler. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! You know what? If he murdered he, he Kimmy done the... Gibbler, I don't. I I I might change my mind on Mr. Caputo, just a little bit. <laughs> She's a fucking fictional, <laughs> fucking sitcom character. Oh God! Let's let, let's respect the memory of Kimmy Kimmy Gibbler, who's actually doing just fine over on Fuller House. I don't even know what I'm talking about. She's great. She's divorced. She's still friends with DJ. <laughs> Bob Saget has a really, really raunchy joke about how he uh, apparently he's how like, he yeah, fucked I Kimmy fucked. Gimler. Yeah, that's exactly what he says. He said, "Yeah, I fucked her." <laughs> he's like, "I'm just kidding, guys. That's awful." Ah, <laughs> oh, dude, it's so funny that they they made they made him this wholesome dad, and he's fucking terrible. <laughs> so um, Bob Saget is not involved uh, in San Francisco. Caputo goes to the city, to another big city, and he befriends Barbara Taylor, who's a book editor, and they, uh, of course, begin a relationship. So March of 1975, which is uh, about a year after um, Judith is found dead, she's found beaten to death in her apartment, and his fingerprints are everywhere and of course he's nowhere to be seen Ooh, where, where did they find him um five days after this in april of 1975 he came 
to our town. neck of the woods. Um, we met him up at Mulligan's for a shot, and then we ate Chico's. <laughs> he came to El Paso, Texas, guys. He tried to cat. Yeah. He tried to hop the border, though. And he called himself a different name. He called himself Ricardo Diaz. Oh yeah, real original really, guy, real clever. Shit, I know a Ricardo Diaz on my street. So he gets detained at the border, and he gets delivered into. Uh, he gets delivered to immigration to the U.S. immigration by Mexican authorities. So he's actually at the alien detention facility right here in El Paso. And there's no charges being made against him. It's just an administrative thing. They're just trying to figure out who he is. And, of course, everybody gets fingerprinted, and this is when he starts to get worried. So um, a little bit after that, I guess they're detained there for a while. He and a couple of these other inmates make a prison break um, or alien detention center break. And they... And they... They flee. um, like it looks like they have a shiv in the reenactment, and they put it up against the guard's neck. Yeah, one of them actually has. One of them actually has a. Uh, they use a soap shiv. Ooh, ooh, for really? soap shank. Soap shank. Soap shank. A knife made from a part of soap. One of one of the one one of the guys. Soap shank. The, doesn't soap shank sound like a like a pop punk band? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, mustard plug, real big fish, and soap shank are playing. <laughs> Uh, oh, maybe it's a ska band. I'm thinking <laughs> Pennywise and Soapshank. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> One of them in the reenactment also has like a like a meat cleaver. Where did they get that from? <laughs> no idea. What? Well, he was working in the kitchen, the, the kitchen, kitchen of the detention staff. center. I don't know. So um, <laughs> they get away. They steal a car. They flee to Mexico. They're all caught except for Ricardo the Puto. <laughs> the, uh, all the inmates say that he his plan was to hitch down to Mexico City. And apparently that's just what he did. He moved in with college student Laura Marie Gomez. And they began a two-year relationship. And uh, two years later, she was found dead in her apartment um, in Mexico City. She had been beaten and tortured days prior to her death and she was actually two months pregnant. That's probably, that's the most awful thing. And she, all these, they're all young, pretty girls. I mean, this isn't, this isn't one of these like fat, like sweetheart swindlers who's just jacking money. This guy was like, cleaning house. He was batshit crazy. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was attractive. So he was easy for him to talk into and manipulate women. And he straight up like, you know, this wasn't a money thing. He just eventually, eventually, would brutally murder these women. So I mean, just that poor Laura Gomez in Mexico City. That's the worst. I mean, she was pregnant and pretty young girl. Terrible. Um, and cops think that he killed after that too. Uh, this story is not his typical mo, but then again, it kind of totally is. Um, in 1983, which is a long time after this, he's been on the run. He's apparently he goes back to the Big Apple. Sixty-year-old um, Jackie Bernard, who is an author and social activist of note, apparently, was found murdered. Her throat was actually crushed. Ooh! And she was living in she was living in the West Side. She was living in uh, West Manhattan, West Side Manhattan. So this apartment Swanky. was probably really nice. <laughs> well, it is early '80s, so who knows. Um, now it would be fucking ridiculous. New York was always fucking expensive, regardless. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. The 80s, I'm picturing, like, Wall Street, you know, fucking... Michael Douglas is just it's just Michael Douglas and Kiefer Sutherland hanging there's, out down there. There's blow and quaaludes being passed around left and right. CEOs are fully cocked by eleven AM. <laughs> so much hair gel. Yeah. And lots of half slips. Um Bill Cosby would have had a great time. <laughs> so January of nineteen eighty five, um there was actually a private investigator that Jackie this author's family hired to find out what happened to her. This private investigator in 1985 got a call um, saying, giving him some information that the person who killed Jackie was indeed Ricardo Caputo. Um, This informant said that he'd actually bragged about killing several other women and some men as well. Oh. The private investigator showed pictures of uh, Caputo to the super um, of Jackie's apartment, and he confirmed that this that he did see this guy trying to get into her apartment a couple of nights day. before, I think. Yeah, and he he did he noted that um, the picture that they had that this guy was a little bit older now, his hairline had receded a little mm. bit, um, but that it was definitely him. And shit, like what? It's crazy because after that, we jumped to twenty years later. Yeah. It what like two two thousand three? I mean, he fucking turns himself in in a, uh in a, to it. He turns himself in in New York. Yeah. Where the fuck was he for those twenty years? After twenty years on the run, dude. Why he but, called the cops on himself the first time, and then twenty years later he's like, I'm tired of running. Well, the motivation for him turning himself in turned out to be he claimed that he was being haunted in his dreams mm. by his victims and that the only way they would stop haunting him... Are you fucking serious? ...is if he turned himself in. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. That's a cool story. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Or are you just, are you just repeating the plot of that terrible movie we covered? No, no, it's, it's on his like Wikipedia page. They discuss about his motivation for turning himself in was that he was being haunted by his... Uh, do you have a current picture? What does he look like now? He's dead. Oh, he oh, he, he died. died. He was in jail. So three years after being incarcerated, he had a heart attack while playing basketball on the prison court. Oh, that, that's because they haunted him, man. They came and fuck yeah, dude. Killed his ass. That would make a great. That would actually, if, if that was done well, that'd make a great like. I mean, he did get away with it for twenty years, which is insane. But yeah, now he did. But that's crazy he real, real did. that he said that he was haunted by all these women he murdered. Good. I mean, I don't know if I believe in ghosts, but I hope that I hope that he was fucking tortured. Yeah, for real. Because he's a terrible... I mean, he was also mentally ill, for sure. We know that, so... Yeah, uh, Caputo turned himself in to the police in March 1994, claiming that his victims were haunting him and he feared he would kill again. Ooh. Nice. During his time on the run, he was married twice, traveled throughout Central and South America, and then pleaded to two. two he pleaded guilty to two of the murders, so they weren't able to fully um, say like he committed all the other murders. But they know for a fact he committed two murders at the at the probably minimum. the one. Yeah, well, there's the one where his fingerprints were everywhere. The so fingerprints, and then the one he called the and the one he called the cops on. Oh, yeah. I guess you can't deny those, right? That makes sense. Um, yeah, so fuck this guy. He was 48 years old when he just dropped dead. In Attica. Uh, playing basketball Attica. in jail. Attica. So, yeah, he's dead. Uh, Ricardo the Puto, fucking piece of premium garbage. Um, <laughs> he should have gotten help. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like uh, 
he he manipulated his way out of jail after murdering brutally murdering somebody. He manipulated his way out of a mental hospital, which is insane. It's like he outsmarted uh, if the you're help. crazy. Yeah, it's just it's <laughs> wild. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It's, it's, there's somebody to blame. Like he, he, there should have been no reason why he should have been out um, after that first murder. No one else should have died. So next, we're gonna be talking about a crazy lady. Who has a special camera? We're talking about uh, the Vancouver Lights, I guess is what they've been called. Um, it's a fun little alien tale. Um, it's the unexplained, obviously. Aliens have tails? What kind of tails? Furry oh, tails? Eli. <laughs> Duck tails? Ooh. Dick tails. Dick tails. So, a tale of two dicks. This is bad, guys. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I tell this. This is bad. This, this isn't good. <laughs> uh, so, as of 1990, Robert Stack lets us in on a little secret that for the past 35 years, there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of UFO sightings in the Vancouver area. And we're going to be focusing in on one such viewer of these sightings. Uh, Miss Dorothy Isaac. Yeah, wasn't she like the highest percentage of the people that have seen these lights? Yeah, Dorothy's be seeing these things all day or day. It's November of 1974 when Dorothy has her first experience. Um, she's a homemaker. She's got kids and a and a husband who want to have nothing to do with this segment. By the way, they mentioned <laughs> that she has kids and a husband that like. Um, didn't take it seriously and they just move on. And <laughs> there's a picture of her and her husband and that's all we get. Um, so she's making tea and she feels someone is watching her. And then she looks out the window and she says she sees an enormous diamond looking shape like hovering in the sky, just sitting in the sky. But and she says she wasn't scared that it was like a wonderful feeling that like lifted her up and she felt like lucky oh, to because she was being abducted. Like They're beaming her up. I th I don't know. I, I think this. I think the, these aliens gave her a little <laughs> like like. Oh, I don't, how do I say it without being completely vulgar? Some drugs. What kind of chiba was she smoking? No, it's like these aliens like. You know, like that thing when you you're like uh, you like s sit on the dryer just to feel a little excitement. You know, uh, I when mean, uh, uh, get get getting her off. So you're saying I, I think need that aliens were getting her off. There you go, Eli. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> she got off on these alien sightings. Yeah, she said they didn't <laughs> scare her at all. There's one thing she says later. We'll get into it that like made that made me believe it also. Um, <laughs> so she lived in Richmond, um, which was close to Vancouver, right outside. Um, <laughs> she one day she talked about how she like w brought a flashlight out there and she flashed it at the thing. She and it flashed, flashed back the and UFOs. And it was like mimicking. It was like mimicking her uh, like patterns that she was doing. Like she move it to one she, way, and she move it to the other way. She flashed. And yes, Dan, she was actually flashing the UFOs. This is another thing that makes me believe that she might indeed have been getting off on the aliens, feeling the UFOs in a sexual manner. This is another reason why the husband wanted nothing to do with this case because the wife was just totally flashing. 
the aliens <laughs> after with her. She's like, she's like, I flashed them once, and then I flashed them up to the side, and then they went up to the side, and then I flashed them down, and they flashed down, and I flashed them back and forth, like a little Mardi Gras action, and then the, the aliens. And then they threw lights, some beads at me. <laughs> the alien lights in the oh, sky. Did a little. I'm gonna spit out my drink. Shaky. That was then, then the UFOs gave me a pearl necklace. God damn it. You got it was green, though. It was green, green though. God. Hey, it's a Mardi Gras color. This is Maybe where that's I, where Mardi Gras comes from. Like this is this is not something planned. Like oh, let's just make Dorothy's alien experience like just like a sexual thing. <laughs> this is all spontaneous. This is all natural, guys. So she she thought the lights might be trying to communicate with her. So this is when she busts out her Super 8 camera, starts filming these lights to see what she can find that Wait, way. Wait, she directed Super 8. Yeah, when J.J. Abrams um, and the the little kids making the zombie movie. It's a great movie. Watch Super 8 if you haven't seen it. Everyone's like, cool, Stranger Things. They did that thing where they, like, you know, were like, cool. Steven Spielberg made cool movies in the 80s. J.J. Abrams did it, like, five years what before. It's Super 8 homies. <laughs> I love both of those things, and I'm glad they exist. I feel like Super 8 gets, Super 8 gets like, forgotten. Forgotten. Give credit to where credit's due. And Super 8 could also be a Cloverfield movie. I don't know. Could hit, be. Hit me up on Twitter. Thought, what do you think? I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's, it could be. The monster looks similar enough to me. Just like a smaller little Cloverfield monster. Yep. Um, Grass it in, guys. So the balls of light. Okay. So, all right. So she starts <laughs> filming on her Super 8. She's hanging out with J.J. Abrams. They're using oh, Super 8 cameras. flashing and balls. Yeah. So these flashing balls of light um, that she sees, she records on her little Super 8 camera. And, um, oh my God, dude, this is where my note is so stupid. She said they beam light and she would be all lit up with light. Horny aliens. Is she rubbing friends with the lights? <laughs> that was the note Horny that I wrote. Aliens. Or the aliens. But isn't that weird? She she did say she was like they would beam light and I could feel it and I would be all lit up. And they're like, damn girl, they lit you up. <laughs> um so oh, she man. she had three different cameras and she got the same weird results with all of these, and there'd be like these flashing lights in the sky, but when she watched them back that's when that's when stuff got weird like there would be like these balls of light and then the light would flash and during the flash there would be these like intricate spiral maze looking things that do look very interesting and they do look cool as fuck like the pictures yeah, the look pictures cool. do look cool honestly i would really <laughs> like one of these i would really dig like a blown up like a really good version of one of those like like a like a fucking honestly no I would like a poster of one of those pictures because they look fucking cool. The images she got like the spirals they were extraterrestrial dick pics or EDPs. <laughs> EDPs. E, you mean ETDPs? ETDPs. ETDPs. We got these ETDPs. Um, yeah. So she shows the. So she blows up all of these pictures of intricate uh, shapes that she gets from her Super 8 film. Um, <laughs> just laugh and we'll go over it. Okay, I said blow. 
Um, there's a theme here, guys. There's a theme here, kitties. Um, and she has them examined by pho- photographic experts. She even gets examined by a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is like, I believe she doesn't seem like a person who has any like delusions. I believe, and he said he believes that what she says she believes. But he's like, I don't know anything about photographs, so I don't know anything about the pictures. And the photograph guy, it's interesting. He says he can't quite explain it, but he definitely thinks it's a natural occurring phenomenon in the night sky. Pussy. That guy didn't get lit up by any aliens because no. he's like, it's a natural phenomenon. If, the, if those lights would have given you a boner, you wouldn't be thinking that. <laughs> if those lights got that dick hork. <laughs> wouldn't be thinking that <laughs> I apologize <laughs> so Dorothy gains notoriety in the UFO community um, and she even gets visits from people who want to like check out what she sees you know because she sees them so often um, and this is when we get fucking Jerry Jerry comes to play yeah. Jerry's like I'm a guy with a normal job and I don't even know I believed in aliens until I like heard this thing on the radio and I just had to meet this lady so I came to Canada <laughs> so this guy comes to meet uh, Dorothy and kind of you know experience firsthand what she's been uh, you know spewing about on the internet and in books and all this shit books so he's listening to her talk and she's like explaining you know the his- she's showing pictures her past you know pictures she's taken telling stories when um, Jerry gets a weird humming in like one of his ears his like right ear he's like my getting a weird sensation in my ear my ear hole hurts and then he he stops her he stops her and he's like uh, I'm sorry I'm distracted I can't pay attention to what you're saying because I have this weird humming sound in my ear hole and um, she's like, you hear that too? Um, she's like, well, they got the wrong hole, first of all. But um, <laughs> you hear that too? <laughs> oh, thank you. Let's just say the aliens didn't get her ear hole. <laughs> In all seriousness, she tells Jerry, she's like, oh, you can hear that too? Um, and he explains this big, like, f- this, like, warm grin that she had because no one had ever experienced it with her. So um, she says, God, they all sound so dirty. Yeah. So talk about an extraterrestrial DP double penetration. Oh, man. Nobody's ever felt this with me. There's three involved now. Um, So she says that means they're here and they walk out to the backyard and he says he's looking up at the sky. He doesn't see anything. And she's like, there they are. And it, he, she just kind of points to like the left side where he wasn't really looking, and he says he sees this thing, this hard metallic object, just floating in the sky, just hanging out. And um, it disappeared, and sh- and he said that Dorothy just kind of giggled, like kind of just like, "What's that? What the hell is that? Like, right? Am I right? <laughs> Am I right?" Um, and we all know now that she'd probably climax from. The warm, delicious, Metal. inviting sensation of the alien beams. <laughs> but also, this is all hearsay. This is all theory. Possibly just fan fiction. Um, I consider myself a pretty big Izat head now. 
it's uh, probably 100% fan fiction at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, and he he said that the giggle was kind of just like a yeah, like what's that? Like what's distant? Like you know, like how do you explain that kind of thing? And that's kind of where the story ends. Robert Stack tells us that the unsolved mysteries cameraman was outside with her when she said she could see these lights, and the they said they couldn't see anything, and but they filmed anyway, and she filmed. Um, as well with her Super 8 camera, when they saw the the footage back, it was exactly what Dorothy's been explaining. You know, the same flashes and all that stuff. But um, when the Unsolved Mysteries people um, were there, they didn't see anything. They saw, like, one tiny light in the sky, but their cameras apparently didn't catch anything. But Dorothy's did. And I was thinking, like, how would they know? There's no timestamp on Super 8 film, you know? Like... It could have just like she could have filmed that before, yeah, and then just been like, "Well, look what I got." Yeah, yeah. So could, the could Unsolved be. Mysteries cameraman was not convinced. Bullshit. So Dorothy yeah. Isaac, did she just have like a broken Super Eight camera? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know why. Every time I try to take a moving picture, it makes these lights. <laughs> They must be alien. She's like taking pictures of like stuff inside of her house, and the same thing happened. She's like, "Well, let's not mention that." It, it could must be, be alien. a faulty shutter. I don't know, man. Yeah. It's, I, I saw this whole conference at the Roswell UFO Festival, where uh, Betty and Barney Hill's niece was explaining this guy who who was who had terrible cancer and was cured by Betty and Barney Rubble. What did the yabba dabba do? This guy was cured from, like, a terrible cancerous thing in his neck from an orb. And she said she had a video of this happening. And it was literally, like, a 10-second video that she showed, like, all these UFO nerds in a professional air-conditioned conference room. So it was, like, a 10-second iPhone video of this guy. He's, like, he's like in his basketball shorts. He's laying on the couch. And you see this little, like, it looks like a fucking dust. Like, they say it's an orb, and it just goes into his body. And they say that after that, he was, like, cured. That the doctors couldn't explain what happened to the tumor. They said he had like months oh, to live, and it, a and it went diagnosis. down. No, this. She said that the tumor was like, like you could see it. It was in his neck, and that, and that it went down, and he can't explain it. And I'm just like, that video was not as compelling as the story <laughs> you told. <laughs> it just looked like a fucking light reflection that went into a person's body. I don't know. I think Dorothy's kind of full of shit. I think maybe she just had a defective yeah. Super 8 camera. I want to know more about these other sightings in Vancouver. I feel like that would be more interesting. Yeah, that would because this is all from the perspective of this one lady. who. It, it's also like the Gulf Breeze UFO inf- incident, which is like that one guy got so much footage. Yeah, that it's just yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Is that, it's like, is that, that doesn't seem really? like that's how that works, you know? Like, you're the one, uh, um, the one and only person that is, has the pleasure of seeing these creatures. Yeah. Pleasure. Also, pleasure. also what I was thinking is this might be a way that some people construed the ending of the Unsolved Mystery segment that maybe these lights and these images are only presented to Dorothy because for some reason she is able to accept them and maybe Jerry was like that too. Um, maybe, you know, the Unsolved Mysteries cameraman was too much of a skeptic or maybe, you know, maybe for some reason she sees these and other people don't. Um, but most likely 
She just wanted some extra cash. Bored housewife, you know. Yeah. Um, I know who definitely seems unconvinced. Her family that will not be shown on camera. She was just a bored housewife that hadn't been touched by her husband in so long that extraterrestrials had to come in and do it. Yeah. Those alien beams from another place were doing more for Dorothy than Mr. Isaac. God, we're terrible people. Treat your ladies right, man, or else they're going to be finding day groovy sexual experiences in any way possible, possibly otherworldly ways. Do you think there's an extraterrestrial uh, hookup site? I, I should check that green, out. Gray men. Do graymanhookup.com. Do your women a favor, men, and take care of them. They are princesses. You know what I'm saying? They are our queens. We worship them. We come from them. Mother nature. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Whatever. Um, Dave's going on his rant. <laughs> David's feminist rant. Yeah, so Dorothy um, felt the beam. No one else did. <laughs> I bet she did. In more ways than one. All things serve the beam. <laughs> uh, Dark Tower reference. That's actually a Stephen King thing. Um, but yeah, I snuck it in there and it sounded dirty still. So good. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. We'll be back with season three, episode four. 14 next week yeah Um, next week we got some doozies oh yeah a woman wait Uh, i have to ask first what's going on next week eli (laughs) okay sorry i'm not allowed to talk until i'm asked forgot that's a rule so next week we have a couple of doozies we have a um woman who uh was found full of oil and speak when spoken to eli Ah, she was full of oil and drowned in a pond near her home. Um, Police say it was an accident. And of course, her family is convinced otherwise. We're also going to be talking about a woman who quite a few years ago boarded a train and went missing. There was convincing clues that say that she may have other whereabouts um her family is looking into it also we're going to be talking about another missing persons case who uh a pilot who went missing over the caribbean sea um again yeah and uh there's speculation and his daughter is looking and trying to uncover uh some other clues as to his whereabouts maybe he possibly could be imprisoned in cuba so yeah you'll have to join us next week to find out Damn, that Caribbean Sea is mad mysterious. Dude, I was going to say, why do people go missing over the Caribbean, man? Because the Bermuda Triangle. Bermuda, Bahamas. Pretty mama. So come and hang out with us next week. Uh, Rate and review on iTunes, please. Oh, something really cool about next week. We're going to be recording in the same room. Oh my gosh. I forgot about that. She's got me excited. Are we? Yeah, I already. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because this isn't coming out until Monday. Yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. We'll get we'll there. Be we'll get there Tuesday. We'll last podcast on Wednesday. Woo! We're gonna. Yeah, we're gonna go see last po- last podcast on the left in Ooh. Dallas. I think there's still tickets. Um, yeah, I owe you. I owe you money, Dan. Yeah. I forgot. I'm gonna get that to you. 
Venmo that shit. PayPal me. Um, well, not me. Um, yeah, we'll be hanging out. It'll be fun. It'll, it'll be a little more groovy. Um, come back and hang out. We're the Stack Pack on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, we're also separately on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Davey Howe, D-A-V-Y-H-O-W. Road underscore Dan. I'm Big Bad Final Dan. <laughs> For every mystery, there's someone somewhere who knows the truth. And perhaps that someone is listening, and perhaps that someone is you. Good week.